Hello there, GPSers, and welcome back to another edition of the GPS Podcast, where all of your podcast dreams come true. Haven't used the tagline in a while, so I thought I would try to bring that back. I know you've missed it. We are going to do a special two-week series for this next two weeks of this podcast. As you know, last week we wrapped up a 10- to 12-week series that we did called Nine a Day, Feasting on the Fruit of the Spirit, where we focused on that list that Paul gives in Galatians 5. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those if and when you can. But for the next two weeks, we are doing a special series called A Story and a Promise. Now, the reason why we're calling it A Story and a Promise is because it's oriented around a new logo that was revealed on Sunday in our assembly. If you've driven by our building recently, you probably have noticed that the sign is finally up and no longer is there that large gaping hole from the tornado earlier this year. But now we have a new sign and a new logo. And as a part of introducing this logo, we wanted to focus on some details in it and some details about it that we hope describe the kind of church that we're trying to be. And these two key words are important as we think about who we're trying to be as a church. We're trying to have a story, and we're trying to make a promise. We're trying to live out a story, and we're trying to live by certain promises. And this week, what I want to do is I want to take that first word, story, and then next week, I want to take that word, promise, and give some reflections in light of what I think are some important things to keep in mind when we talk about story and when we talk about promise. So this week, story. And the way I want to start is I want to start with a passage that we explored in class on Sunday that is a longer passage. It's 26 verses, but I want to read the whole passage in order for you to hear it as a whole and then give some reflections. This is Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever, who alone does great wonders, for His steadfast love endures forever, who by understanding made the heavens, for His love endures forever, who spread out the water, the earth on the waters, for His steadfast love endures forever, who made the great lights, for His steadfast love endures forever, the sun to rule over the day, for His steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who struck Egypt through their firstborn, His steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for His steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who divided the Red Sea into two, for His steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, 
for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever, who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever, who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed famous kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Shehan, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to his servant Israel, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. O give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. One of the earliest memories of church that I have was... When I got surgery on one of my ears when I was about three or four years old, it's that time of life where you have some of those very first memories that stay with you for years and years and years. And the reason why that was a significant moment for me just personally was because getting surgery as a three or four-year-old is a very intimidating and overwhelming experience. So obviously, I remembered the pain and the nervousness and the uncertainty that I had never felt before in my life. But the other reason I remembered it, and this other really distinct memory I have, was something that happened after the surgery. I still remember sitting in our front living room where I grew up, and I was leaning against my mom as I was simply in that healing, recovering, pitiful place, And as I was sitting there, the memory that I have is of a tall figure walking into our house and walking up to me. And in his hand was a My Buddy doll. Now, hopefully, as a child of the 80s, if you're listening to this, you remember My Buddy. I am tempted to sing to you. Uh, the theme song, My Buddy, He's My Buddy, My Buddy, and Me. And the person who handed it to me was the preacher at our church, a guy named Mike. And that's the only memory I have. Now, I have a lot of memories after that, with that My Buddy doll, but that initial acceptance of the gift that moment when our preacher from church came and gave me this stuffed animal is one that I have remembered for nearly 30 years. And the reason I tell that story is because when I think about church, when I think about how the church has formed me, that is one of the first memories that I always will remember. When I think about how the church has shaped and formed me, that memory, that story 
always comes to mind. And the reason I tell that story is because it is an exercise that is important in the life of the people of God, that sharing stories of faith is a way of shaping our faith. Sharing stories of faith is a way of shaping our faith by the mere act of me right now sharing that story and by the mere act of you listening to it in some way you were touched or moved or changed because of it. You now have that story within your mind and heart, memory and imagination. Even if you weren't all that moved or touched or impacted by it, you still have it now with you as a memory as well. That in some strange way, my memory has now become your memory. That by me telling my story, in some way you now have a part of that story simply by hearing it. And that's why the people of God have always placed a priority on sharing stories of faith. Stories about how God has worked in their life, but not just an individual story, but also a communal story. That the individual stories of faith that we tell matter, but there's also this this bigger story that frames these smaller individual stories that is also a story that the people of God have told year after year after year. Because they've always known that by sharing these stories, faith is formed in those hearers. By passing on the story in some strange, mysterious way, that story becomes a part of the hearer's story. And so the people of God have always been about telling that big story of faith. And the reason why I wanted to read Psalm 136 is because it models an example of that story-sharing process of the people of God. This psalm is traditionally known as what is called a historical psalm. So Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106 would be other examples of history. These psalms that tell the history of the people of God. But what's really interesting about historical psalms are twofold. On the one hand, they're doing history. It's that first word, historical. They're doing history, but they're doing history through a theological lens. So yes, they're telling their story, but they're not telling their story under these modern notions of our idea of history. They're telling a story of history through a God-shaped lens. And the second thing, on the other hand, to keep in mind, is that word psalm, because it's a historical psalm. And when we say psalm, what we have to remember is that basically what we're saying is that it's a poem. It's a song that would have been sung in a worship setting. In a community gathered together, they would sing and chant and recite 
these psalms. And as any well-known song that you might think of, if you think of one of your maybe personal favorite songs, you know that, that it's a lyrical thing that may draw you to a song, but as any song does, it's not just a lyrical exercise, it's also a musical exercise. It's intended to evoke emotion. It's intended to spark imagination. And so when we read this historical psalm in Psalm 136, when we hear the people of God singing this song of faith, reminding themselves of their history, they're doing so through a God-shaped lens, and they're doing so with the intention to invoke not just a memory, but to evoke emotion. And one of the reasons why I think this is a helpful psalm for us as we think about this idea of story is that we need to take some cues from Psalm 136 as we think about what it means to be people of God today. And there's a few things about this psalm that I think are particularly important as we think about telling our story as people of God. Not just my individual story of faith, although that's a part of it, but also when I think about telling our story of faith, the story of our church, the story of the people of God. One thing that is noteworthy about this psalm is a subtle change in pronoun that you may or may not have heard as I was reading through it. If you read through all 26 of these verses, the majority of those verses is using the pronoun there, using the pronoun them, because the people of God are telling the story of other individuals. They're telling the story of previous generations. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, as we close the psalm, the pronoun changes. And so what was a story about them takes on a present-day experience. In verse 23, it shifts. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. And then it goes on, who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. There at the end, after 20 verses of there and them, all of a sudden that story is held on to. That story is embraced. That story becomes our story. And that is a significant detail for us to notice as we think about what it means to tell our story of faith, that we always should remember our story of faith not as some distant then-there kind of story, although that's a part of it, but as we tell it, as we recount it in some strange, mysterious way, the preposition should change. 
and their story becomes our story. Because that's one of the things that it means to be a person of faith. It's not just to know the story of Scripture, but it's also to claim it as our own. So it's our creation story. It's our story of Exodus. It's our story of wilderness. It's our story of exile. It's our story of incarnation. It's our story of a Spirit-filled church. That these stories that can feel so distant and feel so other and feel so then aren't intended to be just that. They're, they're also intended for us to claim as our own. And so if we're talking about my individual story of faith, or if we're talking about our story as a church at College Hills, it's always in the context of that larger story of Scripture, that that too is a part of our story. Second detail in this psalm that I think is important is that refrain, that obvious refrain that you cannot miss because it's said 26 times. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now, there's a lot going on with this phrase. First, I intentionally used a translation that translates it steadfast love. You probably have heard this psalm, if you've heard it before, and have heard it as, for his love endures forever. And and that's an acceptable translation. That's good and helpful, but When we limit it to just that word love, we can easily be tempted into those very thin and flimsy ideas about how we understand love today. But the Hebrew word here is this deeper, richer word that communicates the idea of steadfast love, faithful love, a passionate commitment on behalf of God to God's people. That it's not just any kind of posture that God takes towards us, but it is a deeply committed, faithful, loving posture that endures forever. And as I said, as a song, imagine sitting in a worship setting and you hear this song sung over and over and over, and that refrain is repeated over and over and over like a chorus in a song, and it is intended to get stuck in your heart and your mind and your imagination and become this kind of firm setting on which to stand, this solid foundation upon which to stand. Because what's really interesting about this psalm is that there's a lot of past tense stories that are told, but every time that phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, it's always stated in the present tense, that there is a way of hearing and seeing and telling our story that can recount all of the good, bad, and the ugly. And yet, and yet it can all still be held together by this glue of God's steadfast love, that that is this kind of thread that we can see weaving, not just throughout the story then, but also throughout our story now. And because of that, and this is the third thing I want us to notice, although it's not exactly in the psalm, is that if this is our story, if this is how we look back 
on how God has been at work in our life, rescuing us, saving us, delivering us. What God did to them, God did for us as well. If, if we know that's our history, and if we have that refrain of His steadfast love endures forever, and those are a part of the way we tell our story, then that really changes how we view the future. That really impacts the rest of our story. That really impacts how we look out till tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Because we can look at the future in a very different way when we know our past, when we know how God has been at work before, and when we know that His steadfast love is this constant, present tense reality. Because I don't know about you, but if you're like me, there's a little bit of uncertainty these days. There's a little bit of chaos these days. We've been in this really strange season for the last six, seven, eight, nine months, and people are anxious. People are afraid. People are wondering is 2021 going to be another repeat? People are wondering, when is this crisis going to end? And that's just a global crisis. That doesn't keep in mind all of the smaller stories that we're living out on a day-to-day basis. Questions about family, uncertainty about finances, things that keep us up at night because we don't know what's going to happen next week or next month or next year. And we have a lot of other things going on in our life that have nothing to do with this bigger global story. And so we are looking out to the future, and if there's one thing I've taken away from a lot of conversations with people, it's that there there is some nervousness and some anxiousness about tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so I think a psalm like this is a good one for us to return to because I think it can help shape our posture towards the future. There is something grounding about this psalm. There is something centering about this psalm that reminds us that God has been at work since creation, moving and weaving and working. And so we can trust that God will be at work in the future. And there is this refrain through history of God's steadfast love being present, continuing to grace us for another day and another day and another day. And long after we're gone, we can trust that that steadfast love will continue to endure forever. And simply by sitting in those two realities, simply by slowing down long enough to to not speed through this song, but to soak in it, hopefully it will bleed into our hearts and our minds and our imaginations. Hopefully it will seep into our souls and into the deepest part of who we are so that at our deep inner core, we can still know that this bigger story grounds us and that God's steadfast love is still 
stable upon which for us to stand. So I don't know what stories that you think of, like the one I shared earlier, of how the church has shaped you. But I encourage you to think about them. And I encourage you to consider them in that larger narrative of God being at work in your life through that. And I encourage you not just to see that as any generic good or nice thing that happened, but as as an expression of God's steadfast love. And we can tell all the parts of our story, even the parts that are difficult, and we can claim and name and identify those, and also we can claim that God's steadfast love endures forever. We can hold both of those in each hand. And so I hope as we go out this week, as we navigate uncertainty, as we face challenges, as we have hard things happen, that we can still find grounding in not just a story that is bigger than us, but in the one whom the story is pointing to. God's steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love endures forever. God's steadfast love endures forever. Amen.